You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Doug Mensch, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is a little bit of an unusual episode. This is Godzilla, King of the Monsters, episode one of two. This is covering a period of Godzilla from 1977 to 1988. In fact, we're going to be talking about issues one through 11. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I am your Godzilla host, Mike Russo. Mike, this is your first time on my show here today. I've been on your show, actually. And let's why don't we just take a second to talk about your podcast before we talk about this episode here? Oh, I'd love to do that. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to plug my show. I am a co-host of a podcast about the 1991 Disney animated series Darkwing Duck. Uh, It's something I've been doing with my co-host, Will Santana, for about a year and a half now. We're almost done with the series. Um, It's an episode-by-episode analysis of every episode of the show. We talk about the animation, the stories, the characters, the villains, and we have a lot of fun. Um, If anybody is interested in Disney or animation or Darkwing Duck specifically, uh, we are on all podcast apps, everything from Spotify all the way down to iTunes and iHeartRadio, Pandora, everything. So we would love it if people would check us out. We're really passionate about Darkwing Duck and Disney Ducks in general. So um, hopefully we get a few more listeners from this. That would be wonderful. I would really appreciate it. And let me tell you, I was on their show for one episode. Coincidentally, actually, it was kind of a Godzilla type of an episode (laughs) that I was talking about. Well, a character in the episode said, look, run, it's Godzilla. That's right. Right there. (laughs) Um, But you you two, uh, you and Will are both very, very knowledgeable. I am very impressed with the amount of uh, just little details you know behind the scenes stuff and everything so it's well worth a listen the St. Canard Files podcast gotta check it out yeah thank you so much but as much as I love Darkwing Duck my love for Godzilla predates that (laughs) what is your history with Godzilla Okay, I'm I'm one of the, I'm an older fan. I'm 42. Um, but I got into Godzilla when I was seven, maybe six. Okay, so we're talking 1986. I was introduced to Godzilla through my grandmother. She taped one of the Godzilla movies off TV for me, and I was just a gigantic fan ever since. Uh, my parents, uh, both rest in peace, they were very. Um, very dedicated in helping me really get into it, taping whatever movies aired on TV, going to all sorts of video stores to find the VHS tapes that I can watch, buying me Godzilla toys, something I, I'm sure they regretted because I have a huge Godzilla toy collection. <laughs> a lot of it's in storage, but you know I have a lot of vintage toys from the 60s and 70s. Um, some more modern stuff, a lot of toys from the 80s and 90s, uh, posters, books, DVDs, Blu-rays. I am a mega fan. I think one of the only things I really haven't been able to do is travel to Japan itself and actually experience the culture where Godzilla was created. Otherwise, I've seen the movies in theaters. I've met the actors who played in the Godzilla suits. I've had dinner with them. Um, (laughs) 
I've gone to, wow. I, don't, I don't go every year. And because of, you know, the pandemic, there hasn't been any conventions in a while, but I periodically go to the, there's a Godzilla convention every summer in right outside Chicago called G-Fest that I go to. I'm also the head admin of a Facebook Godzilla collectors group. Um, we are celebrating our 10th year this summer, and we're one of the biggest Godzilla toy groups on Facebook. Fantastic. So if anybody is interested in Godzilla collecting, feel free to join our group. We um, just love to have fun talking about Godzilla toys. Old, new, big, small, cheap, expensive, whatever. That's great. And I just love Godzilla. And I was very lucky that when I was very young, my parents picked up the entire run of the Marvel Comics Godzilla series for me. Wow. And this would they would have had to find, find them in, in back issues or something. Like this was after, because this series came out in the late 70s, but you were a Godzilla fan in the mid 80s, right? Yes, yes. Um, so I would say around 87, 88 is when I got these comics. But because we were buying Godzilla toys, my parents knew most of the local comic, st uh, comic stores. Okay. So we, we had our sources. And you found so they were them. able to pick me up everything. That's fantastic. And you've had them ever since. These are childhood comics for you. Yeah. So nothing's absolutely mint. But right. um, I read them a lot as a kid. Up until you asked me, though, up until you asked me to um, read these for this podcast, I actually hadn't read them in at least 25, 30 years. <laughs> cool. But I read them a lot as a kid. So they're worn, but they're loved. No, that's how comics should be. I tell you, I, I think that's great. Yeah, so I knew this about you, but being a big Godzilla fan, so we, I, I contacted you and I said, hey, do you have the Godzilla comics? And you're like, yeah, heck yeah, I do. <laughs> and so I was like, this is perfect. <laughs> because, you know, this is an interesting comic. Uh, it's licensed. So Marvel had the license to do this for a little while, and then they lost the license. And so uh, they, they regained the license once to reprint the Godzilla comics in black and white in a line that they called Essential Marvel. So it was the Essential Godzilla King of the Monsters, all 24 issues in one big fat book in black and white. And then Marvel never had the license again. And IDW currently has the Godzilla license for comics, but they have, they, they, they can't um, reprint these Godzilla comics because they have to license all of the Marvel characters that show up in these books, which is every single issue, uh, in order to uh, reprint it. So they have to get the license from, they sorry, they already pay for the license for Godzilla, and then they'd have to also pay Marvel for the license for all of their characters, for which there are dozens that appear throughout this, this series. So we're never going to see this ever again. We're never going to see it reprinted unless Marvel gets the rights back. Because it's just not worthwhile for IDW. It would be too expensive. And then the yeah. return, like the return, the dollar return on that would not be beneficial to them at all. It's it's not not practical. They would have to deal with Disney. Yes. And then they would have to deal with Toho. And I don't know which one is more difficult. <laughs> oh, they're, man. Yeah. They're probably two of the most difficult companies to deal with when it comes to licensing. For sure. Wow. That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> so so this, this episode, if you are listening to this episode, either you've never read these comics before or you love these comics to death there's no in between i don't think that people are just going to have maybe they'll have one or two random godzilla comics but these are not easy to come by these days it's uh they, you have to scour the back issue bins and uh, if you can't find those you can try to track down the essentials book but it's long out of print and it actually goes for a lot of money on the third the third party marketplace on amazon yeah but I have the comics. I'll tell you a little story here is uh, I I try to collect Marvel comics that typically won't be reprinted uh, because right. I know that Marvel does a really good job of reprinting all of their back catalog. 
except, you know, for stuff like this. So one of my local comic shops posted on Facebook uh, that they got a big shipment of comics in. Who wants to see this? And they had the whole set of 24 issues minus number 12. They didn't have number 12, but the whole set for 40 bucks. This was like a couple wow. years back. I'm like, heck yeah, I'm going to get that. So I got it. <laughs> And I've been waiting for a time to talk about it on the podcast because while I love talking about Spider-Man and Captain America and whatever, it's it's these smaller, more obscure stuff that actually are kind of really interesting to dig into. Like, why did Marvel do this book at the time that they did it? Um, was it a success? How come it only lasts 24 issues? Uh, and who are the people involved? And so um, there's a Godzilla movie coming out this month, and uh, and I wanted to do a little tie-in to, to the movie. <laughs> so I think... Uh, there we go. We're going to do some Godzilla episodes. Yeah. And I think the most interesting thing about these comics for me, revisiting them now, is when I was a kid in the 80s, I didn't know much about Marvel. Maybe I knew who Spider-Man and the Hulk were, but I didn't know S.H.I.E.L.D. I didn't know who Tony Stark was. I yeah. didn't know who Jimmy Woo was. I didn't know any of that stuff. Even the Avengers, I wouldn't have known who the Avengers were. Um, but now going back and reading these now, I'm a bigger fan, obviously, of the MCU. I love those films. Yep. Now going back and reading it and just having casual mentions. Oh, yeah, Nick Fury said this. Oh, we're meeting with Tony Stark later. Oh, the helicarrier is doing this. So <laughs> yeah, it's all of a sudden it's like, it's like, oh, my God. It's like all these things I missed when I was a kid. Like this is so much more interesting now. When I was a kid, I read this just for Godzilla. Right. That's very cool. But now it's now it's it's fun to see all the Marvel shout outs that I actually understand. It's amazing that we live in a world where the general public knows who Jimmy Woo is. Like that's just fantastic. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Ant Man the Wasp and WandaVision. Yep, totally. <laughs> I, I love yeah. what Randall Park has done with that character. Totally. Yeah, very different than how he is in the comics here. So, Mike, uh, please tell me what was the state of the Godzilla franchise in 1977? Okay, so I'm going to not exactly start at the beginning, but as we all know, Godzilla was created in 1954. And at the time, he was... I wouldn't quite hesitate to call the original original Godzilla movie a horror film. It it kind of is because a lot of it, it Godzilla's a nuclear allegory. Made the film was made by a country, the only country so far, who hopefully never again to experience being on the receiving end of an atomic bomb blast. Right. And Godzilla really came from that. So Godzilla meant a lot to Japan. Hmm. Of course, in America, everyone looked at these films as junk. No one really took them seriously. But by the mid-60s, he was, he was popular in Japan and America. Like, Godzilla was huge. Um, the movies were making a lot of money in Japan. They were popular here. And, I mean, there was a huge monster boom in the mid-60s in Japan when we had stuff like Gamera and Ultraman. And it was big. And by the early 70s, Godzilla was kind of petering out in Japan. Um, the creator of Godzilla, Eiji Tsuburaya, had passed away. Um, other people who created Godzilla, like the director Ishiro Honda, who directed most of the best Godzilla films, had retired from those films. Um, Godzilla movies were only being made in Japan as children's matinee movies. So the movies that most people laugh at, um, Godzilla vs. Hedera, Godzilla vs. Gigan, Godzilla vs. Megalon, 
were made specifically for children. Okay. And a lot of those films weren't getting American releases anymore. Like the popularity died off around here because films like 2001, American films were becoming either more horrific, like Night of the Living Dead, or were becoming a lot more expensive and well-made. So the Godzilla movies look cheap in comparison. Eventually, the Godzilla series was put to rest in Japan in 1975 with Terror of Mechagodzilla. But then in 1976, finally the handful of Godzilla movies that had not been released here yet started trickling in. The first one was Godzilla vs. Megalon, which everybody points to as the worst Godzilla movie. But let me tell you, back in 1976, when this one actually hit American shores, it was big. Like, the company who distributed it made a big deal about it. It was actually aired in prime time on NBC. Hmm. There was Godzilla for President campaigns. Um, they really, really pushed it. And all of a sudden, for a brief couple of years, Godzilla got really big again in, in America. He was he had been retired in Japan at that point, but he became big again here. And this is when we start seeing Godzilla products start to take off in this country, including this comic book series. Nice. There you go. As well as, I might add, the Hanna-Barbera Godzilla TV show. That's right, with Gadzuki. <laughs> yes, so... I think that was 1978, so about yeah. a year later than this comic series. But that, it all blends together as just a period where Godzilla had a spurt of big of popularity in this country. And this is, in this climate is where these comics come in. That's fascinating, yeah. And so this issue has the, the very first letter page, Godzillagrams, except, of course, it's the first issue, so they don't have any actual letters to print because nobody's read any issues yet, but editor Archie Goodwin does a little bit of a write-up about the origins of this comic, and I just want to read a little bit of it here. It says, back in the early years of the fast-disappearing decade, that'd be the 70s, Marvel's then-editor-in-chief, Rascally Roy Thomas, uh, first began trying to acquire the rights to do an adventure of the most popular movie monster since King Kong, that would be Godzilla, Legal difficulties prevented this from coming about at the time, but bullpenners are a stubborn lot, and with the constant urging of our publisher and leading light Stan the Man Lee, Marvel kept trying. I was the guy who finally got lucky. Toho Company Limited was ready to do a Godzilla comic at the time, and I approached them about the possibility. Once we had the rights, the big question was how to handle the character. What works in a series of movies appearing a year or more so apart can also become monotonous in a comic book coming at you every month. So, for the sake of variety and continuity, we opted for new adventures rather than adaptations of the films. And for the same reason, we also chose to connect the big G with the Marvel Universe. This takes a bit of stretching, but Marvel's world, while as fragile as any imaginative creation, is also amazingly flexible. As the series progresses, we think you'll see the advantages of this. At the time, the distribution rights, the American distribution rights to Godzilla were handled by a man named Harry Saperstein, who was very, very determined to just get Godzilla out there. Like, he really loved Godzilla. He wanted to license him out to whoever wanted to pick him up. He was responsible for a lot of the 60s films in which American actors co-starred with the Japanese ones. Uh, movies like uh, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, Frankenstein Conquers the World, where like Nick Adams and Russ Tamblyn, um, they starred in those films. So in the 70s, he was really pushing Godzilla to be this big name in America. So I think he probably had a lot to do with Stan Lee being able to get a hold of it. Wow. Because at, at that time, you didn't really have to go through Toho as much as you would have to today. 
Okay, at this point, I'm going to play a clip of an interview that I did with the series writer Doug Mensch. And this was actually part of an interview that I did uh, talking about Master of Kung Fu, because that's a licensed property as well. I asked him about licensed properties in general, and then we got talking about Godzilla a little bit. So this is a story about Stan asking Doug to write Godzilla. Well, I never would have chosen Godzilla. Um and I would have turned it down when it was offered to me had it not been offered to me personally by Stan Lee. Okay. And it wasn't an offer. It wasn't an offer. Right. It was a request. Yeah. He said, no, I, would you please do this for me? You know, it was that kind of thing. And I said, Stan, yeah, I, that's not my kind of thing, you know? And, and he said, I know, that's why I want you to do it. And then I said, but... So you want me to do, I had this reputation of doing more, I think they called it uh, more adult Marvel comics. It appealed to an older reader, supposedly. Right. This is all nonsense, but, but that's what people <laughs> got from it, you know, yeah. and a lot of people got that. And I said, you know, well, is that, is that why you want me to do Godzilla? And he said, yeah. And I said, but Stan, then you really don't want me because the only way I would do Godzilla is if I could do it totally different and deliberately appeal to very young readers. Okay. They're the Godzilla fans. They are Godzilla fans. I know my kid and all of his friends, they're all so crazy about Godzilla. And that's the way I would want to do it. Like those goofy movies where Godzilla is kind of the hero and beating up the bad guy monsters, you yep, know, and, yep. And Stan, you know, you could see his face like he was disappointed at first. And then he sort of perked up. And the more I talked about it, the more he and he finally said, you're right. That's the way you should do it. OK, <laughs> go to it. You know, awesome. like, oh, God, what did I talk myself into this? <laughs> Just trying to talk myself out of it, you know. But then I, I'm, I'm glad it, it, it happened because I got to work with Herb Trimpey, who yeah. was a joy and. And uh, it turned out to be enormous amount of fun. It was like because I was aiming at, at well, I don't know if it's because, but I was aiming at younger readers. And for some reason, that made it like freewheeling, you know, like I didn't try to impress. You know, okay. I just okay. tried to have fun, yeah. just tried to have fun. And it, it really became fun. I the guys who wrote uh, Mishkin and somebody else they did Blue Devil or something. I remember them grabbing me up in the DC offices once, and they said, "Oh man, when you were back at Marvel, we we would get the the batch of the freebies, you know, every week they would get a you know twenty com copies of uh, whatever was published that week." And I want you to know the first one we grabbed and we fought over, it was always Godzilla. <laughs> you had to read that right away, right away, because it was so breezy and fast reading and fun. And, and I thought, well, there's another great compliment. Okay, Mike, I think at this time, why don't we move over to the issues? We're going to talk about the first 11 issues of this series, and we're just going to go one at a time and talk a little bit about what we like about them, what we noticed, point out little interesting trivia facts. I'm sure you, you have lots of little trivia facts about Godzilla that you can share, and I'll, yes. I'll come at it from more of, more of the Marvel comic side of things, and we'll have a, a good conversation here. So All right. the first issue, Godzilla King of the Monsters number one, is cover dated August 1970. And it's written 
written by Doug Minch, who is going to be the writer on all of these issues. And it's uh, it's drawn by Herb Trimpey, who is going to be the regular penciler for all of these issues, except for just a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a series of rotating inkers throughout this uh, throughout these first several issues is pretty much a different person every single time until they settle in um, about issue number six or seven. They settle in with a regular inker, which really helps define the look. You can see it fluctuate. Yep. You can see the inker. Yeah, you definitely see it fluctuate. So the inker in this one is Jim Mooney, and uh, it, he gives a, a, a really nice... I think they start off really, really well. They give the, the look of the book a really sharp look. Uh, one of the things that Doug mentioned in the in the interview clip is that he was he was supposed to write this geared more toward kids rather than Master of Kung Fu, which was geared more to a teen or an older or young adult mm-hmm. audience. So he said he could be a lot more loose and freewheeling with uh, the types of stories he was telling. And I think you get that just by the fact that we have S.H.I.E.L.D. in this book. Because S.H.I.E.L.D., and especially because he's put Dum Dum Dugan in charge of this instead of having Nick Fury himself in charge. Because Dum Dum is kind of a, he's brash, he's he's over the top, he's um, he, he's funny, he's sarcastic. But that totally fits with the tone of Godzilla. Godzilla's yeah. crazy and over the top. So I think having someone like Dum Dum really fits the tone of Godzilla. Totally. It works. Uh, Dum Dum, of course, people who are fans of the MCU may know him because he he was only in one movie. He was in the first Captain America movie played by Neil McDonough. The, all of the people who are in S.H.I.E.L.D. are made up of old soldiers from World War II from a book called Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos. The Howling Commandos themselves appeared in Captain America, the first Avenger movie. But in the comics in the 60s, when Stan decided to turn Nick Fury into a a James Bond type of a character, he brought all of the supporting cast and made them all S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. So we see a couple of them here. We see um, Dum Dum Dugan and we see Gabe Jones. And these are going to be our primary link to the Marvel Universe, along with um, FBI agent. Uh, is he FBI or is he S.H.I.E.L.D. in this? I can't remember. In this in this comic, he's S.H.I.E.L.D. He's S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. Yeah, Jimmy Woo. Jimmy Woo's going to be S.H.I.E.L.D. as well. So these are our three people who are going to, who have been tasked with trying to capture or just destroy, get rid of the threat that is Godzilla. It's a great premise. Um, we have to, of course, because Godzilla is a non-speaking character who doesn't really have any real kind of motivation except just to, to survive. Uh, we need yeah. to have that human element. Uh, so we have we have um, these characters. Nick Fury also makes a guest appearance in this first issue, but he won't be seen very much at all in the rest of the No. Um, but we have uh, uh, this, and then we also have a trio of Japanese characters who are, I guess, science. The, the two of them are scientists. So I guess no, one is a scientist, one is the assistant to the scientist, and one is the son of the assistant of the scientist. Or no, no, yeah. he's the, he's the grandson, grandson of the scientist. Grandson. Yeah, yeah, they're they're definitely with these three Japanese characters trying to capture an element from the actual Toho Godzilla series. I definitely feel like the lead scientist. That's definitely a lot like um, Dr. Yermani from the very first Godzilla movie, who, while everybody else wants to kill Godzilla, he's saying that Godzilla should be studied. Mm, okay. And this is definitely coming from that. Um, little Rob, who they keep calling him R- Little Rob, he definitely seems more like a teenager to me. Um, <laughs> well, he's 12. That they they actually give him a uh, an they age. do yep. okay, but I feel like they're I feel like they're basing him off of a lot of the kids from Godzilla movies like Godzilla's Revenge, Godzilla versus Hedera, 
and Godzilla versus Megalon, where there's always a kid who wants to help Godzilla, who insists he's, you know, he's, you know, don't hurt Godzilla, he's our friend. And I feel like they're trying very hard to pay tribute to those elements of the Godzilla movies. And I definitely respect that. Nice. I'll just make one little more note about the artwork. Herb Trimpey is a guy who uh, he's great at mimicking different styles. And I really feel like he's mimicking Jack Kirby in a lot of the work that he does throughout here. All of these comics are are numbered. The pages are numbered. So in this issue, number number one, page 11, we have a big splash page of all of these random shield agents kind of coming out of the helicarrier on these flying devices. Yes. It's a very Kirby-ish kind of a page. Uh, just the composition, the way he does the 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 shading and the the go- the reflection in the goggles and such. He's really mimicking Jack Kirby, and Jack Kirby's the guy who kind of invented Shield, so that make, kind of makes sense there. Uh, what mm-hmm. do you, what do you think of the design of Godzilla in these comics? Well, I think it's extremely typical of how American products were handling him at the time. Um, I know in the very first issue, the editor makes a point in one of the columns that they're they were trying hard to pay tribute to Godzilla, but to do their own thing with him and you could definitely see that godzilla's colored green because of course he is it's america in the 1970s of course godzilla's green <laughs> godzilla was not the actual movie godzilla was not going to be green until godzilla 2000 in 1999 there was never a green godzilla before then but you wouldn't know it looking at american godzilla toys and products of the time but it doesn't bother me because everybody colored him green. Uh, the design is true enough to the Toho Godzilla. They got the spikes right, which is more than I can say for the Hanna-Barbera series. Um, <laughs> I don't like his dead eyes. I wish he had more expressive eyes. Yeah. And because he, he seems, I know they're going for more of a force of nature, I, you know, theme with Godzilla, which is something that wasn't going to be more true to his character until the, the 90s Toho's film, where he was more definitely more of a force of nature. So they're kind of predicting something at least 15 years early. And of course, like all American Godzillas, he doesn't breathe his blue atomic breath. He he breathes red fire. Right. Uh, they, they call it his atomic breath and, you know, good for them for actually calling it that because um, they, they don't shy away from the fact that he's radioactive. They do mention it, but his fire is red. It looks just like fire. It should be a, a blue laser flame, but, you know, it's fire and his spikes, his spikes don't glow. But I still feel like despite all that, they're really respectful to the character. They make sure to point out Godzilla has had a history in Japan before you know right. the tea isn't just showing up for the first time he he has had adventures in japan i like they mentioned that and they are not afraid to bring in the atomic bomb tests as what woke him up yeah was, yeah exactly they're true to his origin i was going to ask you about the origin on 16 and 17 and how accurate it is to the actual origin i had not noticed that or really paid attention to that as a kid Reading it as an adult, I was really happy that they at least addressed it. Mm -hmm. They didn't have to, and I'm surprised they did, considering when this comic was made, but I'm glad they addressed it. Very cool. There's just some great artwork in here, too. In that flashback scene on page 17, where Godzilla is just, uh, he's just standing in the middle of the rubble that he's kind of just knocking over buildings and such. Just a, a lot of detail. I love the kind of the monochromatic color scheme of the city to really draw the focus. Uh, even though it's a highly detailed picture, it draws the focus to Godzilla. He doesn't get lost in the clutter. Um, very, very nice stuff. They do a really good job introducing him and showing how powerful he is. Yeah. Like right off the bat, this issue makes it very clear Godzilla is a force to be reckoned with. And the fact that the characters make a point to 
say he's one of the deadliest creatures who've ever lived. That shows a lot of respect. And they treat him very just the just the, the panel of him picking up the um the oil pipe and slamming it against the ground. Like that's that was really cool. They they do a great job showing his power. Yeah. And I love how just absolutely clueless S.H.I.E.L.D. is on how to handle him as well. They've never met anything like this before. Nope. And, uh, and they, they try, like, they pull out their biggest guns, and it just doesn't have any effect. They literally have no idea what to do. And then Godzilla goes back into the ocean at the very end. Um, it's interesting. The, this is all on the West Coast, of course, because if Godzilla is going to cross the ocean from Japan, he's not going to show up in New York. I um, love the progression yes. of geography in this comic. Absolutely. It's very well thought out. Very well. So they start off here in um, in Alaska, and they're going to be working their way down the coast to California through the next few issues, and then, then across the country. We get like a Godzilla road trip kind of, and it's very, very cool. Basically, yeah. I think he makes it all the way to the East Coast. He sure does. Oh, yeah, because a, a certain hero we all know was in the very last issue, proving it takes a place in New York. Okay, that's true. We, uh, yeah, th- there are lots of New York heroes that are going to show up in yes. uh, in the, the last half of this book for sure. Okay, so that's issue number one. Why don't we move over to issue number two? This one is called Thunder in the Darkness. And uh, again, drawn by Herb Trimpey, but we have Frank Giacoya and, and George Tusca as the inkers. We have two inkers. Um, I guess that there were some deadlines and they had to get some more people on. I, I can just imagine that Godzilla actually takes a long time to draw because they don't shy away from putting scales all over him all the time and that's that takes time that takes time to put all the scales on there absolutely oh one note i wanted to make about godzilla's coloring is that um when when the hulk first appeared in comics he was gray and then um in the next issue he turned green and it's because gray with the 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 four color printing process that that they make these comics with it's very very difficult to make anything gray if you look at any of the grays that are in comics it's actually purple Mm. um, or it's light blue and so if you're trying to make something gray uh, you can't. You have to use little dots like a, z- a zipatone pattern in order to get the shading right. And so comics tend to try to shy away from doing things that color. So I'm. I think. Um. I think they made it green for that purpose. I think they made Godzilla green to make it easier yeah. on them. Black or gray wouldn't have worked for the reasons you just said. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so this issue here, number two, Godzilla resurfaces, but this time it's in Seattle. He's a little bit further south, and Gabe Jones is on the scene, and he uses um, a series of lights to lure Godzilla away, and and then he pushes him into the ocean. That is taken right from a Godzilla movie. Oh, yeah? The sequel to the first film, uh, Godzilla Raids Again, they actually use flares from planes. When Godzilla shows up in Osaka, they show up with planes, they drop flares, and they they successfully... for a while at least, they, they're they able to get him back in the water because he's following these flares. I feel like someone saw that movie when they wrote that part of the part of the story. Yeah, well, I'm, I think Doug probably watched a bunch of them to do some research. I don't think you can pull Godzilla off as accurately as they do here without having seen any of those movies. And back then, you couldn't just grab a VHS. Right. So that, that's dedication. Yeah, totally. 
Uh, this issue is kind of where we get to the, the premise here, especially from little Roy, who says, you, he must not die, you must not be allowed to kill him. And I, this sets up the premise here um, of uh, uh, the tug-of-war between what the American government, S.H.I.E.L.D. in this case, wants to do to save the country and what um, what the Japanese government in this one represented by these three people here how they deal with Godzilla instead. And they're and they're definitely personifying the American I you know American's belief of killing Godzilla through Dum Dum, who's just a big hothead. Yep. So it adds an extra layer of, you know, comedic drama, but it's still it's still drama. Yeah. Because he's just the perfect character for this because he's just an angry guy who's smoking a cigar who wants to kill Godzilla. So he definitely contrasts with the Japanese characters in the story. And it's so interesting. I I haven't seen very many Godzilla movies at all. I don't think I've seen any of the classic ones, but I've definitely seen the Matthew Broderick movie, which I'm sure oh. you hate. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but in that one, it's the same thing. It's like the government does it. He, they only see Godzilla as a threat and want to blow it up, blow him up. Yep. And so that's what's going on here, too. A lot of Godzilla movies are like that, even the Japanese ones. Yeah. Uh, so on the third page of this issue here, uh, there is um, some flashbacks with some characters, uh, some other monsters. Now, they're not direct references to monsters, but are they um, indirect references to any of the Godzilla monsters? Well, one of them looks a lot like Rodan. Yeah, that's what I figured. I've, a lot of a lot of people who get the license for Godzilla but can't get the other monsters tend to make their own stand-ins. We're going to see a little bit of that in later issues um, with a couple of monsters they came up with. But I think this one monster he's fighting is definitely a Rodan stand-in. Right. Okay. That's cool. Uh, okay, so throughout this issue, uh, right at the very end here, it's always great to see um, landmarks in disaster movies. And so we get right. the the Space Needle and the, the little, little revolving restaurant that's on top of the uh, on top of the Space Needle and Godzilla. Could, he, Godzilla is as tall as the Space Needle. He can could you right imagine there. how terrifying it would <laughs> oh, be man. to be up at, be up there yep. in the restaurant and Godzilla's right there and there's no easy way to get down? Yep, no easy. It, it's they picked a really good landmark. They picked a great landmark for this. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot of really memorable building landmarks on the West Coast, so they kind of have to choose carefully like is either this or the hollywood sign you know <laughs> oh the next the next issue picks a good one too oh i don't remember what it is i guess we'll find out in a little bit yep mm-hmm. okay the back page there's an advertisement on the back page of this issue for a great disaster movie called orca starring richard harris <laughs> that pops up yeah a few of the the back covers of these early issues have the orca advertisement in there it's great um, I, I have to wonder if they chose that specifically because it's like, oh, man, they love big things destroying cities and stuff. They're, they're going to love Orca. I, wasn't that done by the same guy who did the 76 Kong film? Uh, it could be. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dino De Laurentiis. Laurentiis. Yeah, I'm pretty yep. sure it was done by that guy, too. Yeah. <laughs> Although definitely inspired by Jaws. Oh, for sure. Okay, issue number three, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, number three. This one's called The Tale of Two Saviors. Godzilla has made his way. Oh, yeah, here's the other monument. He's made his way to San Francisco, and he's going. He's at the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> of course. 
This issue is our first uh, introduction to the into to superheroes in the Godzilla world. We've already had Shield, but they're not super powered. We get the Champions, and for those of you who are not familiar with this super group, uh, this was a very interesting time for um, for for comics because the the X Men had it was a title that believe it or not wasn't popular enough, and they canceled it, and uh, and and so the characters kind of had to go off and do their own thing, and so Iceman and Angel, two of the founding X-Men, went off to um, uh, to join a join a team called the Champions here. And this is a team that's led by Black Widow. It also includes Hercules and Ghost Rider. It's a very odd assortment of heroes, kind of all together. Yeah, I, I did laugh when I saw the when I saw a page with all of them together. I'm like, this is a really odd collection of characters. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> But they're all characters that kind of didn't have a home at the time in the comics. They didn't really have a place. And so they stuck them all in this book together. And I'm and I don't know whether they're using the champions to try and sell Godzilla or if they're using Godzilla to try and sell the champions, but here they are in this book. Um, and it's actually kind of a funny issue because the champions tr- are trying to save the city and S.H.I.E.L.D. is trying to save the city, but they're trying to do it their own way and they're just getting in each other's way the entire time. It's kind of like a comedy of errors through the entire issue. There's a lot going on in this one. Yeah. There's a lot of characters. Definitely. Um, it, it gets a little bit muddled and like there's, like you said, yeah, there's a lot going on. And I think that it could have benefited from from uh, simplifying things a little bit. Uh, they didn't even have all of the the champions here. It's like Ghost, no, Ghost Rider is doing something different. <laughs> so I don't know where he was. Um, and we also get a cameo from Tony Stark. Yes. Is this the only time we see him in this comic? Uh, well, I don't know if he shows up in the back half, but it's certainly in the issues yeah, we're either. talking about today. This is the only time we're going to see him. Right. They mention him a lot. There's a lot of mentions to Stark Industries, but I don't really think we see him very often. Yeah, I think he's still on the East Coast as well. I think. Oh no, they say Detroit. He's in Detroit. Uh, that's east, the East Side as well. The East Side of the, of the country. Yeah, it's it's still pretty far from the West Coast. So. Yeah, he's nowhere near the threat, so he doesn't know what's going on. It's like, well, why didn't Iron Man just suit up and fly over and help these? guys out <laughs> you know but um i don't know they decided not to do that <laughs> they're saving their big guns for later yeah there's a fantastic splash page on page 14 where hercules lifts godzilla up by the foot and throws him back i love that drawing yeah very great perspective here uh a lot of scales it's very nice and there's actually each issue has a giant splash page like this that shows godzilla fighting whatever the creature of the month is in this case it's hercules mm-hmm <laughs> Hercules is the creature of the month. Yep. <laughs> but it's pretty amazing. Like you, you think about how heavy uh, Godzilla must be and Hercules actually manages to knock him off of his feet from underneath. You think the Hulk could do that? I don't know. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe if you get him mad enough. Still excellent drawing though. Yes, it is. Yeah, it, I think an- another one I loved is when Godzilla rises right underneath the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, yeah. There is just some really, really creative stuff from Herb Trimpey. Um, he really plays a lot with the perspective and the the dynamics of uh of of size. And then yeah, and Hercules has to prevent the the bridge from falling over. There's, I, I really feel the uh, the panic, I think, in a lot of what's going on here. And they're going for these money shots, which absolutely would have been money shots if these were actual Godzilla movies. Like they're putting enough thought into what would happen if Godzilla did this. How cool would that look? Right. Totally. There's a lot of that in this comic. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, and then Hercules tries to throw a hunk of concrete at Godzilla's head, and Godzilla ducks, and he takes out the helicarrier instead. So the helicarrier crashes, and this sets up a big plot point that's going to come up in another issue where they get a new helicarrier. Right. Um, very cool stuff. A little bit of Godzilla trivia, I noticed. They're trying to drop electrical nets on Godzilla at one point, uh-huh. and that was like straight out. That was a, that was something they tried in the movie Mothra versus Godzilla. They tried to drop electrical nets on him, and it almost worked before a power station blue oh man <laughs> so somebody must have seen that and thought that would be a cool thing to show in the comic as well totally yeah okay and the issue ends with again godzilla walking off into the sunset into the water like the last two issues have so and that brings us to the next one uh issue number four this is the beginning of a two-part story and it's, this issue is called godzilla versus batragon or bat dragon bat dragon I'm, I'm sure it's batragon that sounds cooler yeah well there was a there was a toho monster named baragon so it's possible they were playing off that name oh okay <laughs> uh this issue and the next are drawn by someone different we have tom sutton filling in uh and the inks by tony de zuniga and uh and it's a different style for sure uh, you can see it's a he still does a really good job in this issue the next one is inked by someone different and i feel like it's a little bit of a weaker one but we'll get to that in a second uh, i think if you didn't know there was a new artist by reading the credit at the beginning, you would know you would know eventually just because Godzilla is drawn a lot differently than he was in the first three issues. Yeah. You could see it. You can definitely see it on Godzilla. Yeah, definitely. The the face shape, uh the the placement of the eyes and such is it's definitely like the and the um the, the his body is drawn a lot more yeah, a lot more lizard like. Yeah. The proportions like his his hands and everything in comparison to his the rest of him. Yeah, it's it's very, very different. Uh this is we're gonna be introduced in this issue to Godzilla's first big villain, uh, Dr. Demonicus. And Dr. Demonicus is a character who he's a scientist who um is, he discovers a meteor that crashed into the into a volcano and uh it's radioactive and he realized that he can combine the dna dna using the whatever radioactive material emanating from this meteor to create hybrid monsters so right. this this character named batrigan is actually a, a komodo dragon and a bat <laughs> so there you go so it could be it could be bat dragon then it could be bat dragon yep <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, Godzilla just shows up and kind of ruins his plans. He's planning, he, he uses these, it's actually kind of a neat plan. He uses these giant monsters to wreck oil tankers. And when the focus is on these giant monsters, his guys go in, steal all the oil, and now they have oil. Um, and then the, the dragons or the monsters have to go back to the uh, the volcano because I guess the, the meteor, the radioactive energy replenishes them or something like that. Like they'll die if they don't go back. Right. What do you think of our very first supervillain character? Dr. Demonicus? Yeah. Now, I had read that this this issue introduces him, but he would eventually go on to star in other comics yep. outside the Godzilla series. That's true? Yes. Yes, it is. Okay, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure going in if he was already an established villain. I had actually researched that. No, this um, is his first appearance. He's interesting. I do feel like, like the last issue, there is also a lot going on here because, of course, we have to keep checking back in with S.H.I.E.L.D. So between them, Godzilla, the other monster, and Demonicus, there is a lot going on here. Uh, but he's cool. And I like his design. It definitely seems like something that would have been in the Godzilla movie. Very <laughs> yeah. outlandish. Very outlandish. I think it works well for this. I think he is just the maniacal enough kind of a villain that uh, it works. 
And it provides something different from the first few issues that we've seen, which were kind of just establishing the world of Godzilla and kind of the concept of, of his character. And now we have a different focus now. This one reminds us that supervillains exist in this universe. That's right. And um, I, do, I do have one, you know, one little concern, maybe something a little bit maybe uncomfortable in this issue and the next one. There is a little bit of casual racism in these stories because at one point, you know, the, the character who ends up fighting Dr. Demonicus is Gabe and he's African-American, of course. And what does Demonicus keep calling him? <laughs> it's just, he just shouts out, hey, you black man. <laughs> and he keeps calling him that. Yeah, over and, and, and over I, and, again. And I doubt anybody writing this meant anything negative by it. But in 2021, it does seem a little little uncomfortable yeah it doesn't hold up and the slave labor demonicus is using are the eskimos right and he's treating them like you know like slaves and a lot of them get roasted accidentally by godzilla and you know again we, we, you know it's not the most comfortable progressive way to treat people like that um it doesn't it doesn't ruin the issue but it's something that definitely jumped out at me as I was reading that. Definitely. Yeah, definitely hasn't aged uh, very well in that sense, for sure. Yeah, I mean, casual racism is the is the term for it. It's not it's not meant to be mean spirited, but no. it happens. It just happens to be there because they didn't. You know, that was just part of the culture at the time, I guess. <laughs> but. Um, I mean, this guy is a villain as well, though. Keep that in mind. So he's... We're not supposed to like him. Yeah, we're not supposed to like him. He's doing bad things. Yep. And yep. Um, I want to put... One thing jumped out at me. Um, Jimmy Woo mentioned Star Wars. Yep. And that would have just come out around this time. What did it have? Let's see. This one's cover dated um, November 77. That means the issue probably would have come out in September. And, and Star Wars would have just been out a few months before that. Yeah. Yeah, we're about to see a lot of star wars in this in the pages of this comic <laughs> well not in the story itself but in the not in the story but in the advertising yeah. yeah it yeah it's amazing how all of a sudden just one month goes by and the the marketing machine just realized oh star wars is a big deal and everything is star wars all of a sudden yeah you can't get away from it if you're reading the com the comics themselves you you can't get away from it yeah so, so it's, it's funny he mentions it just randomly i i hear that star wars movie is pretty good <laughs> 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 but it's also to serve the purpose for Marvel because they are publishing Mar uh, Star Wars comics at the time. They, oh, yeah. They had sense. the license for Star Wars. So I'm sure that they were putting that into uh, just to keep Marvel and Star Wars in in the public eye as well or the, the readers' that, minds. That's a good cross promotion. Yep. Uh, oh, I didn't mention this, but this this issue takes place in Alaska as well. The the um, the uh, Aleutian chain, which is the little small island chain that that kind of uh, hangs down right. at the bottom of Alaska. There, <laughs> there's just some sort of random volcano. So there, we're back. We're making backwards progress. The last issue was San Francisco. Now we're all the way back in Alaska. I and wonder why they went backwards like that. Um, well, probably to suit the Eskimo portion of the story. That's true. I guess you could do it otherwise. And uh, Godzilla manages to kill Batragon. Yes, that's true. Like they, they don't tiptoe around the monster deaths. He actually kills the monsters in some pretty brutal ways. That's what we're going to see probably more next week, next time. Yeah. Like how God's, they don't shy away from it. 
they definitely don't bring up the the hundreds and millions of deaths that we're going to see in Las Vegas in a little while here, but that's true. Yeah, holy cow. Let's go on to issue number five, Isle of the Lost Monsters. This is part two right. of the story here, still by Tom uh, Sutton. This one's inked by, by Klaus Janssen. And Klaus Janssen is a very well-known and popular inker. He has a very different and distinct style. He's not the uh, the same sort of clean, slick um, artist that a lot of these other inkers are. He's a lot more raw, a lot more loose, and plays a lot more with um, like with, with different types of shadows and and just kind of more sketchy natured. Uh, I don't know feathering right. and that kind of thing. And uh, and so it has a very very different style. And one of the things, like, if you go to page 10, there's a panel at the very bottom of Godzilla taking a swipe at one of these monsters. And, like, it's it, the placement of the eyes is way, way back. And, like, the mouth doesn't look like Godzilla's mouth. And I really think that Tom Sutton was probably maybe only doing breakdowns in this issue, which means uh, he wasn't fully drawing every panel. He was just kind of blocking out where the characters are going. And mm. Klaus, Klaus is filling in all of the rest of the details here because there's so much more of his style that is so completely different than what we saw in the last issue even though it's the same penciler tom sutton yeah the godzilla model they're using is even looser than the last issue yeah for sure Okay, so in this issue here, the other monsters that Dr. Demonicus has in this volcano with his magic radioactive meteor now break out. <laughs> yeah, it, how ridiculous does this sound, right? Magic radioactive <laughs> meteor. Yeah, um, I love it. It's so great. So they, they break out and they go and attack the biggest thing that's around, which is Godzilla. And Godzilla yeah. has to fight like three monsters at, at the same time. So like the stakes are higher. And but this this gives Shield, who's kind of been sitting sitting on the sidelines this whole time, gives Shield an opportunity to get in there and help the captive native uh, Eskimos that are that are being held against their will. And so they end up forming an alliance and they help each other solve the problem. And Godzilla manages to uh, defeat all of the monsters that are after him. And and uh, there we go. That's our issue. <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean they were really brazen with this one because one of the monsters looks exactly like mothra yeah like there's yeah. they wanted mothra in this there's just no way you come up with a morph mo moth monster and have it not be mothra yeah they call him uh, leperax leperax yeah i don't know if that's how you pronounce that but uh, leperax and it is gileron which is a lizard creature and centipore which is big centipede i guess uh, yeah <laughs> This was fun, though, you know? He roasts, he roasts Leperax. Oh, yeah, it's great. And then he just rolls it around into a flaming husk on the ground. <laughs> Again, he's he is not showing any mercy to these monsters. It's fantastic. I really like this issue, actually, for the big battle. I think it's well-staged and well-plotted. Uh, mm -hmm. Not not as good as some of the issues that are coming up, like the battle with the big uh, yeti creature. Yes. But still, this is um this is some good stuff in here. If you just love big monsters going at it, then it, this is what you want. And they're all fighting around the mouth of a volcano, so <laughs> right. staging that staging that isn't the easiest thing. Yep, yep. But in the end, Godzilla again goes back into the water. It seems to be the reoccurring theme at the end of the issues here. Well, that was how most of the Godzilla movies ended. Right. Very iconic. So we get our first letter column in this uh, issue. 
Right. And um, the letter columns are really, really interesting. You get some people who, are, who like Godzilla. You get some people who are not huge fans but are interested in what Marvel does with him. And then you get the guys who <laughs> hate Godzilla. Yeah. And they have no problem printing this stuff. It's great. There's a really, really negative one later on a few issues from now. But there is one guy in this first column um, where they're not printing addresses yet, funny enough, who insinuates that Godzilla is just a fad. He's going to burn out just like those old Hercules movies. <laughs> well, 65 plus years later, we're waiting for a new Godzilla movie to come out. That's so <laughs> he is not a fad. He's here to stay. <laughs> yep. That's amazing. I wonder where that guy is now. If he if, if he if he's still not a Godzilla fan. <laughs> <laughs> They were taking a risk, you know, licensing something a lot of people saw as a joke back then, you know. Sure. But yep. so I'm not surprised at some of the some of the uh, letters they got. What I am surprised is they printed some of it. <laughs> yeah, Marvel never shied away from that. They 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 took their lumps and were not afraid. I mean, I'm sure they they pick and choose carefully which letters yeah. they they're not going to print the real scathing ones or whatever. But it's nice that they no. kind of balance out the praise with also kind of the negative stuff so they can, you know, get it both yeah. sides of the story. So just some of these are really funny in hindsight. Right. Do you have anything more you wanted to say about issue number five? No, we're good. I think things are really going to take off at this point. Yes. Issue number six is called A Monster Enslaved. We see the return of Herb Trimpey. He's credited as artist and inker in this one because he had some time off. He must have had some uh, uh, more time to devote to this issue. Uh, because he inked every page himself, which is a hard feat to do on a monthly schedule. Um, but it works because the art in this one is gorgeous. Yeah, he does a really, really good job. And it's always good when a penciler can ink their own pencils because they it's their work fully realized. They know exactly which where their lines are going. And it's not up to somebody else's interpretations to lay down the lines. Uh, mm -hmm. He puts a lot of detail into those scales. There are even more scales on Godzilla in these in these pages than there are in the previous issues. And um, I feel like Godzilla feels like a, he's starting slowly to feel more like a character in these in this comic. Yeah. Well, in this one we we actually get him uh, feeling something, and that feeling, other than rage, I guess, and the feeling is tiredness. He he goes for a nap in a cave. That if if Godzilla is standing up straight and can walk into a cave, this is a cave that's the size of the Space Needle. Well, yeah, I mean they're very, very, <laughs> they're very <laughs> liberal with how tall Godzilla is. Yeah, very liberal. At this point in the Japanese films, he was only fifty meters, which is about one hundred and fifty feet. But the Godzilla in this comic is hundreds of feet tall. Yeah, if not a couple, if not a couple thousand. It's amazing. It's really like great. a few issues from now. He's he can look over the Hoover Dam. Oh yeah, right. So he's a few, he's a couple thousand feet tall. So to get into a cave like that and be able to stand up in it, it's pretty wild. It's great. So the plot of this issue is that in Northern California, Godzilla he takes shelter in this huge cave, and Shield sees this as an opportunity to capture him. They have a new experimental helicarrier that they're calling the Behemoth, and it's supposed to be able to um, contain Godzilla if they can get Godzilla into this big thing. Right. How are they going to do that? They have a couple of ideas, and they manage to gas him, and he falls asleep, and they're able to, I don't know, they must have some really industrial strength cables and, and, and pulleys to get him into this thing. They drag him in. That's the color cover of the issue, them dragging him into the behemoth. That's right. That's right. And then there's a subplot where um, where the, the Japanese scientist has unveiled his plans on how he wants to get rid of Godzilla. It's with a giant robot. <laughs> Mega Godzilla, right? Yep. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, they couldn't license him, so we get the next best thing. It, it's so perfect. Like, it's like, wh- why not bring in the other side of Japanese culture, which is the mecha, the mecha side. Right. Of sci-fi, I mean, the other side of sci-fi Japanese culture. But with a design a lot more grounded in, like, old, you know, old school Japan culture history. Right. Yeah, it definitely looks like a samurai. And the thing here is that little Rob uh, sneaks into the robot. I think he's going to, he plans to, like, sabotage it or something because he doesn't want Godzilla to be destroyed. But he ends up putting on this helmet and... And his brain, his brain waves or whatever you want to call it, uh, get synced up with the robot so that he can um, control the robot with his mind. Yeah, he, so he doesn't he, know he, that he, yet, actually. Yeah. I mean, in the end, they show he kind of bonds mentally with the robot and it only works for him, which I feel like is a very Japanese thing to to bond with a robot like that. <laughs> yeah. But I love that he takes the front seat here because if this ki- book is marketed to kids like Doug Mensch was in, was intending, yeah. um, now we have the kid as the big hero. Like if you're reading this, I'm sure you were as a, as a you know, an eight-year-old kid or whatever you were um, reading this and saying, holy cow, the kid gets to control a giant robot. <laughs> Of course, yeah. <laughs> it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, let's see here. So the other, um, there's also some romance brewing behind the scenes with Wu and Tamara. Yeah, he kisses her. Yep. And so that's another subplot that's going to play out through these issues here. Um, it's nice that we're getting, you know, it, we're, just, we're, we're getting a little bit of subplots and that's what is keeping us interested. Because frankly, while it's cool that Godzilla destroys stuff in every single issue, we need that personal connection to these characters to make us want to get to the next issue. You know, I've always said that about the movies themselves. It's more than just monsters fighting and blowing things up. The best Godzilla movies have really well done human scenes and plots. And there are a lot of Godzilla fans whose favorite movies are just mindless action scenes. And I think the best ones have really well done, you know, human drama. And they they obviously know that here. And they're doing a good job with it. Yeah. Tom DeFalco, one of Marvel's writers uh, in the 80s and 90s, he always would say people come for the action, but they stay for the soap opera. Yeah, I agree. Yep. Okay, number seven, issue number seven, called Birth of a Warrior. And uh, once again, we have Herb Trimpey. Now, here we have a new inker again. This is the guy that's going to be kind of the regular inker through the next several issues. This is Fred Keita. And I absolutely love the combination of Herb Trimpey and Fred Keita. I think this is where the book artistically really hits its stride. Not only does Fred Keita add a lot of dimension to the to the the inks to the pages because he spends a lot of time uh, spotting blacks which means adding the large black areas of just straight black Um, if you look back at the previous issue that Herb Trimpey did himself he actually doesn't use a whole lot of spot blacks because it does take a lot of time to carefully fill in all of those areas Um, but Fred Keita does and it adds so much more depth and dimension to these to these drawings when you do that mm-hmm. oh i agree uh and then also his rendering of faces his rendering of godzilla uh is just really really great so i i th- and this is just the beginning it gets better and better as we go through the next four issues um that we're going to be talking about today yeah this this comic has really hit stride at this point i feel also that herb trimpy now has really solidified and, and completely understands the visual language in how he wants to convey Godzilla and how he wants to 
um, show how Godzilla destroys things, how he, how he shows off his power. Um, all the stuff that he was kind of experimenting with in the first several issues is now really commonplace and 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 really well formed. Yes. Yes, I definitely agree. I, I feel like everybody from the art to the writing is slowly starting to get how Godzilla should be treated as a character. And I think this is really when you see it. And uh, man, this double page spread at the end where Godzilla oh is facing God. off. Opponent, holy cow. Such a good page. You know, this yeah. this feels very much like the setup for like a final battle in a Godzilla movie. Like the problem here is Godzilla's advancing toward nuclear missiles. Right. And that's a doomsday scenario because either either he knocks them over and they blow up or they say or he screws up a launch code somehow and he blows up half the world. Yeah. So that's a problem. And he's getting closer and closer. And just as something's about to happen, dun, 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 here's a robot hero. It's about fantastic. to save the day. And it yep. feels like if this is exactly how a Godzilla movie would play out. Perfect. Yeah, it's wonderful. It, it And you can really get the tension of all of these characters as they as Godzilla is getting closer and closer. Um, I love it. Uh, and then and then uh, little Rob, who is determined to, um, to you know, he, he knows that he's the guy that can control this robot. So he is going to go and save the day. And it's like, yeah, little kid, go for it. You can do it. But and I, and I love that um, he gets knocked out at one point and the robot starts moving by itself and almost steps on. Um, um, what is it? Uh, hydrogen towers or something like that. Yeah. And he's able to control it just as the foot's coming down. So he doesn't blow it up. And I found, I found the tension there actually really well done. Yeah. And there's some great tension in the next issue that I'll bring up as well. Um, when he, when little Rob is getting roasted inside the, the robot, <laughs> it's like they do it really, really well. I feel like, I, I mean, I'm probably wrong, but I feel like someone at Toho in the, you know, years later, had to have referenced this issue because there's a, a Godzilla movie made in 2002 called Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Yeah. A Godzilla against, like, there's so many Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla movies. This one officially is called Godzilla against Mechagodzilla. And they build a Mechagodzilla that they call Kiru out of the bones of the original dead Godzilla. And it breaks its programming and starts to walk around haywire. Oh. And that's kind of what happens here. And toward the end, when Godzilla's advancing on the missiles, just as he gets to them, Red Ronin shows up. Yes. And later on in this film, Godzilla's about to blow up a hospital. And just as he's about to do it, Mechagodzilla shows up nice. and gets in his way. <laughs> Great. And this issue reminded me of this movie so much. Yeah, it's really great. It's and it's like any of those um, sente shows kind of have yeah. have that kind of feel to it as well. Definitely. And um, I guess we'd be. I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't point out the letter column in this one. Okay. Yep. Has the most most scathing anti Godzilla letter they ever printed. <laughs> yeah. Verbatim, the idea of Godzilla is stupid. Anyone who likes Godzilla is stupid. <laughs> and then he writes, I don't I don't have this verbatim, but he wrote, I looked at some issues that my brother had, and I'm thinking, you troll, you they're your issues. Come on. <laughs> and then, then he writes, sooner or later you'll snap out of it. I don't know. 30 plus years later, I'm still a fan. So <laughs> that's so good. I love it. And then yeah. the editor says if you have something to say, spit it out. <laughs> Sh shooting right back. I loved it. So great. Another letter in this one is written by a guy named Bruce Canwell. Um, I, I love looking at the letter pages to see if there are any names I recognize. I actually work with Bruce Canwell right now. He's the associate editor for uh, the Library oh, wow. of American Comics. And um, before he got his start, he loved to write letters to... Uh, 
in in the comic books. So there are lots of Bruce Cannwell letters out there. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's neat to see what he was writing about. He loved Godzilla, by the way. He wasn't the one who called it stupid. <laughs> now, I did the same. I did the same thing you did when I look at the letters. I went to see if I knew any of the names, but not, of course, for Marvel fans, for like Godzilla fans, I might know now. Oh, yeah. Well, obviously, would have been older than me, right. but I do know a few older Godzilla fans, and I checked. I didn't I didn't find any, but uh, it would have been cool if I did. That would have been cool. Yeah, I wonder if they're still around. That would be really neat. Okay, keep going over to Godzilla number eight. Uh, this cover actually is drawn by Ernie Chan, not by Herb Trimpey, like the last several. Uh, and it's it got a very more of a lizard-like Godzilla on the front cover. Mm-hmm. Ernie Chan's a great artist. He's a great artist. He did really good work on Conan the Barbarian, but he doesn't quite get the look of Godzilla quite right. Yeah, I'm looking at the cover right now. It's not It's not quite Godzilla. Yeah. Not quite. It's close, but not quite. You can definitely tell it's a different artist. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on the inside here, same creative team. This one's called Titan Times 2. And Red Ronin tries to prevent Godzilla pretty much through this entire issue from destroying the nuclear missile base that he's about to stomp all over. Um, at the same time, he's also trying to save Godzilla from the attacks from S.H.I.E.L.D. So he's like, I, I love this issue because little Roy is caught between a rock and a hard place. Like, he's trying to stop Godzilla from destroying everything, but he's also trying to stop people from destroying Godzilla. And it's, it, it really puts him in a tough spot. It's also confusing Godzilla. Very much so. Yeah. Godzilla is attacking Red Ronin and, uh, but also at the same time is realizing that he's saving, uh, he's saving himself from uh, the, 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 from the shield attacks. So yeah, very confusing for Godzilla. Yeah. He's pulling his punches with Godzilla, but he, he, he literally turns on the behemoth and you, you see Godzilla looking at it like what's going on here. Yes, and I really love that subtle nature of how they're showing Godzilla's intelligence like that. Mm-hmm. Very, very well portrayed. And I, I love the laser sword that Red Ronin has. Yes. That Rob can actually control the intensity of with his thoughts. It's wonderful. I have to wonder if that's put in there uh, because of Star Wars. It could be. It could very well be. And this this is actually the, the issue with the very first Star Wars advertisement, speaking of which. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> Yeah. So here we go. Here we go. What is it for? Uh, Galaxy um, Star it's Wars for, treasures. It's for, yeah, like tote bags and stuff like that. Tote bags, iron-on transfers, posters. Yeah, look at that. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, the act, the toys and action figures haven't hit yet, but they're they're coming. And did you notice that this is jumping a little bit ahead? But issue number twelve, uh, Godzilla goes to outer space, and right on the front cover is very prominent. It just says Star Searchers. Or no, yeah. star, star, sinister. <laughs> but it says star. It says star. It says star. Definitely playing up the. If you don't look at it carefully enough, you think it's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I do love Red Ronin's uh, disc. He throws like Godzilla hits him right in the face. Yes. And he's got the arm cannon too. So nice arsenal. Yeah, I mentioned uh, in the last when we were talking about the last issue that this was a, there was a scene in here where um, where little Rob is getting kind of roasted inside the 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 armor. Godzilla uses his new atomic breath to heat up the thing, and like he's cooking inside, like literally cooking inside here that he's like gonna pass out. It's kind of a brutal scene, and uh, if it weren't a kids' book, they could probably get a little bit more graphic with it. Yeah, um, but I still feel the intensity of what he's going through it's funny they do a lot of this kind of stuff in later godzilla movies especially with pilots of godzilla um but this is the first time in godzilla canon it happens in this comic someone in a robot suit fighting godzilla you'd see it later 
Oh. In later Godzilla movie, but this is the first time it happens to Godzilla, and it's funny enough, it happens in the comics. Interesting. Yep. I, I do think someone at Toho had these comics, because you see a lot of stuff later on in these films. Totally. Especially at the end, when Red Ronin throws the cables over Godzilla and carries him up. Yep. That is, there are several later Godzilla movies where that's how they get rid of him. <laughs> they just carry him away. There is a Mecha King Ghidorah in a movie made in 1991, and to get rid of Godzilla, the cables come out of his chest, wrap around Godzilla, and he picks them up and drops them in the ocean. Wonderful. <laughs> and that happens here too. Yep. When I saw it, like I had not read these in a long time, like I said. But when I was reading it a few days ago, I'm like, oh, come on. I've seen that before. But then I realized this was first. Nice. Okay, one of the things I love doing while reading comics is looking at the at how the artist sets up the panels and, and guides your eye through the pages. And if you go to page 15, um, there are this page is made up of three vertical panels. And that's it, just the three vertical panels. But I love the way that Herb Trimpey sets up these panels because if you, um, sorry for all of you who are listening, I'm going to have to describe it for you. I recommend trying to track down this issue and looking at this page because uh, it's really interesting to look at. It starts at the top of the first panel with Dum Dum's speech bubble, and then you go, it's a panel of Dum Dum pointing up, and his hand is. is and it's uh, one giant finger. It's one giant <laughs> finger. Yeah, and so you have to go all the way down to the bottom to follow the speech bubble. Balloons, but then the way the panel is composed is that you you start at the top, you go down, but then Dum Dum's hand leads you all the way back up that panel, and it brings you to loop around to the top of the second panel. And the the all of the action in this second panel is purposely drawing you all the way down through the Hell yeah. Carrier, through Godzilla, through Red Ronin. And then you, then your eye has to go down to the bottom of the next panel, the third panel here, and the action goes up. It goes all the way to the top. And then you have to read that, that little text box that's at, the, that's at the front and go all the way back down to read the text box at the bottom. And it might be subliminal, but at, toward the bottom of that third panel, there's the behemoth. Yep. And there's a little arrow. There's a little arrow, I know. Pointing up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's totally, like, it's like yeah. look, go that way, go that way. It's great. It's like, it's three panels and everything in the, in each panel, all of the characters, all of the props, everything is purposely put in all of the speech balloons. They're all put in there in order to guide your eye in, in which direction to go. It's a brilliant page. If you didn't have the comic in front of you, this sounds so confusing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but it's so, it's so perfectly laid out if you actually look at it. Yeah, it's really great. Okay, you ready to move on to the next one? Yep, time for issue nine, right? Issue number nine. Okay, honestly, out of the issues that we're talking about today, this one is actually my favorite issue. This was the first of the comics I got. Oh, yeah. This was my first one. I think it's a good way to start. Because it's a, it's a very standalone issue. Yep. But I love the, the okay, so the, the plot of this one is that Godzilla, he's um, got to the Boulder Dam in Colorado and, uh, oh no, in, uh, sorry, Nevada, in the Nevada, Arizona border, the Colorado River. That's why I was thinking Colorado. Right. Um, and he, he accidentally, not knowing what it is, he breaks the dam and it starts this deluge going into, like it, it destroys like several cities along the way, but carries Godzilla all the way to the Las Vegas, Las Vegas Strip. Like you said, the, 
the unmentioned body count in this issue. Yeah, it's unreal. There are so many people that had to have died as the the floodwaters just ravage all of these cities. It's just well, and then it, and then Godzilla goes on a stomping rampage through everything. <laughs> yeah, through the if it's strong enough to drag Godzilla with it, it's strong enough to wipe out a whole town. Oh yeah, there's no stopping it. Um, and so Godzilla attacks Las Vegas because it's bright, it's shiny, it's making a lot of noise. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. And Shield is coming after him or whatever. So he he's causing a lot of trouble. And at the same time, there's this other plot point where this one guy named Winslow. Uh, Winslow, yeah, Winslow. He he's he's lost all of his money at the casinos. He's got one dime left. And through the course of this issue, he decides to play the slot machine. He needs the money to save his uh, mother. his mother who need who has an who needs an operation and he wins big and before he can claim his big winning godzilla destroys the casino um i loved this this last plot point now if you didn't know doug mensch got his start working for ec comics where he would write um horror stories and he would write stories like twilight zone type stories that were just like you know eight or ten pages long and they would all have the feel of this issue where it's a guy who's undone by his own um his own psyche his own mind right uh, and, and there's a twist at the end there's always a twist at the end and in this case spoiler alert his mother's been dead for three years he just isn't addicted he's addicted to gambling what a dark ending. And it's it's brutal. And I love it. And I think this is what Doug Mensch is so good at writing these types of stories. And the really cool thing is that he's woven it into this plot with Godzilla perfectly to the point where there are pages where the actions of Winslow are paralleling the actions of Godzilla. You're referring to the two panels where Godzilla's about to enter the city and he's about to put his last dime in the machine. And it says, should I? And then it shows Godzilla and it says, should he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, that yep. always turned out for me as a kid. Totally. It's, Even back it's then. really, really great. I love it. And it's just a brilliant issue. Well done. Uh, just a one-off issue. And the whole time, because because you know Godzilla is about to attack, you can also assume that Winslow is going to, to win big and he's not going to claim his prize because, of course, that's what's going to happen. Like, how could it not happen if Godzilla is about to attack the city? Yeah. Uh, so, but, so the tension through these... 22 pages or whatever it is builds and builds and builds and you are so excited even though you know what's going to happen and then Doug throws that twist at the end and it's just like this is amazing <laughs> and specifically pointing it out as an epilogue yes yeah exactly he, he writes epilogue right there and um it's not just you know it's it's tragic it's like dark he calls his wife to admit like he did it again yeah basically you know i did it again I lost all but i did it for my mom and she not only you know tells us obviously that his mother's been dead for three years she says that's it i'm done with you i'm leaving you yeah right it's brutal so like that's just it's it's dark i wasn't expecting that and then in the end, what the, the parallel here is that Winslow's the monster, right? Yeah. Winslow's the monster. And at the very end, in these last three pages, who's the one that walks off into the sunset? It's not Godzilla. It's Winslow. Yeah, Godzilla's walking in the opposite direction. It's really, really cool. I love this one. And as far as the arc goes, I love the the one. It's page 23, where the second wave of the broken Hoover Dam picks up Godzilla head over heels and flips them over the city. Yes. Oh, man. Gorgeous. Drawing. A wonderful, wonderful splash page. Yeah, just some really great stuff here. 
Um, and and Shield really does nothing in this issue. They they take a back seat. They're very much just observers of what's going on. They, they yeah. don't get involved at all. They kind of arrive too late. And then Godzilla is starting to head east. Um, he's not going back to the ocean in this one. He's going to go across the desert. Yep. I just love it. It's such a great standalone issue. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to go on to issue number 10. This one's called Godzilla versus Yetrigar. Uh, same creative team, just carrying on as usual. The the, the behemoth with Dum Dum and Gabe, are uh, they're following Godzilla as he's walking through the desert. They're just keeping an eye on him. They, they're not trying to stop him or anything. They just want to see where he's going. But they talk about uh, underground bomb testing in the desert. And that actually is the catalyst for the events here because the underground bomb goes off and it actually creates um, a, a huge trench that stretches all the way from the desert to Nevada, all the way to, um, to Alberta in Canada, where it breaks uh, some ice that is holding a mythical creature, which is probably, you know, Bigfoot or the Yeti or whatever you want to call it. I feel like this is their way of getting King Kong into the Godzilla stories. I think so, except this King Kong is massive. The radiation emitting from whatever bomb, the nuclear bomb that uh, that went off, makes this creature grow to Godzilla's size. Because um, Godzilla's not, he, he like climbs up buildings. He's not as big as a building. No, yeah. But uh, yeah, the two of them face off. This is only the first part of two, but we get uh, some great action as as these two creatures uh, face off. And then at the same time, Rob hijacks the Red Ronin again. <laughs> That's going to be an ongoing thing here. And uh, They're not very observant, are they? No. <laughs> um, and then they make their way to the Grand Canyon. Everybody's fighting in the Grand Canyon now. And they, they just stick in a subplot about um, rafters who are caught up in this fight. Yes, and that's going to play up uh, even bigger in the next issue. But I love, again, the, the just the human angle, the human factor. In all these big disaster movies, there's always, you know, the normal people. What's happening to the normal people through all of this? And that's what these rafters are right here. Yep, yeah. The Toho films tried to do that a lot, too. Yeah. Sticking some sticking some normal people just as, like, an audience surrogate. Like, how would you feel if you were in this situation? And um, I'm going to point out page 17, Godzilla coming to the top of the cliff. Like, it, yes. it's done very again yep where you you see you just see the top of the cliff nothing there then Godzilla's tiny head starts poking up and he gets a little bigger a little bigger and in the bottom panel you just see his shins yeah that's right it's really neat because it's basically a static camera and you get the sense of Godzilla moving toward you yeah it's a really good stacked set of stacked panels there and a lot of the drawings and the angles of Godzilla fighting uh, Yentragar are really well done too so yeah I wanted to point that out too the I, I felt like this this final battle in this one and then the battle in the next issue with all three of them incredibly well staged I, I each each panel is so precise in how they want to convey the action and uh, and showing the progression of the battle. Uh, really, really, really well done. Way better than uh, the first few of these issues where they were still kind of figuring that out. Yeah, I mean, compare this with the um, the Batragon uh, issues. You yeah. definitely see the development, how far it's come already. Exactly. Uh, and then, yeah, the very end, the last splash page where Ronan comes down, it's like, and Godzilla is probably thinking, is he here to help me or try to hurt me again? But I love when these two are going at it. I mean, he's blasting him point blank with his atomic breath. Yetragar is like smashing a huge rock. Godzilla bites him on the arm. Like yeah. there's a lot of monster action in just a, just a handful of pages. It's really good. And did you notice that S.H.I.E.L.D. just stopped being in this issue halfway through? Like there was a, <laughs> yeah. there was a point where 
Uh, they just, you know, Red Ronin escapes and the helicarrier crashes down. And then we just don't see S.H.I.E.L.D. at all. The focus is 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 entirely now on Godzilla and this battle. And that's how it's going to be now for the next few issues. They're really dialing back on S.H.I.E.L.D. just a little bit. Compared to the first few issues when they were like all over it. Yeah. It's definitely, they're, like I said, they're much more confident in what they're doing with Godzilla now. Yeah, I think at the beginning, S.H.I.E.L.D. was used as just the... the the, a little bit of a gimmick maybe because Doug knew those characters already and like that was his it, that, that kind of grounded him and it also probably eases non-Godzilla fans into the stories if it started out as all Godzilla all the time right they would have lost readers but by starting off very shield heavy yeah you get people slowly easing into it and if you if you still have readers by issue 11 you can have a bit more fun with Godzilla I think so you've you've probably made um, longtime readers out of these guys and yeah shield is is being dialed back more and more in these issues here. Uh, they're not going to go away, but we're going to, they just uh, are not as present. Yep. Okay, final issue that we're going to talk about today. It's called Arena for Three. So we're still in the Grand Canyon, and this is the big battle between Godzilla, Yetrigar, and Red Ronin, all at the same time. Meanwhile, these poor people who are, um, who are, were just rafting, um, they're trying to get out of the Grand Canyon and away from these giant monsters. And I love their story. Some of them get injured, and they have to just figure out how to get out of there. They get saved by S.H.I.E.L.D. eventually. This one is where I felt like the artwork really, really took off as well. Um, th- I-, I love how um, both Trimpy and Fred Kida uh, render all of the people in this. They look really, really great. Um, again, mm-hmm. the fight sequences are just fantastic. And uh, I don't know. There's there's just so much going for this. I can't believe that more people haven't read these Godzilla comics. There are some amazing panels done at extreme low angles from the rafters point of view. Yes. I got a lot of really nice ones. There is a gorgeous one on page 10 of Red Ronin's got Yetrigar in like a hold and Godzilla oh, yeah. standing in the background and they're screaming monsters. They're giant monsters. Yeah, and yeah. It's all low angle. It's really, really good. Great panel. That whole page is, is fantastic. Yeah. And the next one where the, the boulders are falling and spilling the uh, the, the raft that they're on. Um, just, just amazing stuff. Um, this also has um, a really nice character progression for little Rob, who has to make the unfortunate choice to kill Yetrigar in order to end the battle and save Godzilla. And he's very frank about it, you know? He says, if I can't stop him, I'm going to have to kill him. Yeah. And you know, those can, words. Yep, and you can see that he is he's wrestling with that. He doesn't want to do it, but um, it, it's interesting that he doesn't have the same sort of reverence for Yetrigar as he does for Godzilla. No, you know, it's Godzilla. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, he ends up having to kill this character and he does it like not directly. He blasts a mountain so that boulders fall on him. So it's, a, it you know, it softens the blow a little bit. It would be different if he like took off the, the creature's head or something. Well, we'll get to that eventually. <laughs> um, but, you know, it also leaves the door open for Yetrigar to come back if they felt like it. Right. True. Who, who says the avalanche killed him? That's right. Of course. This is comics we're talking about. <laughs> but it also gives 
you know, it also gives Rob quite a bit of a crisis he has to work through now. Yeah. Uh, the cover to this one, wasn't a huge fan of this cover. It's kind of awkward, awkwardly staged. Yeah, there's something off about all three of the monsters in this. And just the way, just the way they're posed. Like, Godzilla's behind them, but he's... He's, I can't, yeah, he's it's, blasting it's Red Ronin, but Red Ronin is, is on the other side of Yetrigar. And, but, like, yeah, it's like, it's, it's pretty much the same panel as the one that you pointed out on page 10 on the inside, which is incredibly well staged but this one is not so hmm, interesting right i mean it's just it's a it's a it's an upshot of all three of these characters with the rafters down below uh, kind of in the foreground but you don't get the same sort of effect yeah it's nowhere near as nice no Ah, okay. Well, you know, that's our episode for today. We've gone through these 11 issues, and next week we'll be back to talk about the the last half of this this series, issues uh, 12 to 24. So, uh, Mike, do you have any closing thoughts about these first 11 issues that you want to say? Well, mainly, I just like, I love seeing how everything progresses. I love seeing them get more confident with Godzilla and storytelling with him. I I love the integration of the, the Marvel characters i just i love how everything is working here yeah like i i was i had my issues with issues three four and five i did but i feel like once they got past that they really have everything's been every issue seems stronger than the last one yeah i agree with that and, and we're about to hit a three-part story that feels so godzilla it's not even funny <laughs> great like they've been building toward what the, what what we're what we're making everybody wait for is what they're building toward, and I feel like this is where the, the stories pay off. And then after this, the comic just goes crazy, and it gets and it's so much fun from this point on. Cool. Well, I can't wait. I haven't read these ones yet. Uh, this back half, so I am going to do that this week, and uh, and I look forward again, Mike, to uh, talking with you next week about about more Godzilla. This was a great conversation. Oh, and you want one little last bit of Godzilla trivia of regarding course. this comic? Yep. Do you see the Godzilla icon? below the uh, issue number and the price. Yes. Toho adopted that as their official licensing icon uh, through the 90s and into the 2000s. Wow. Any official piece of Japan, any Godzilla merchandise, whatever it was, always has a small icon on it to a, don't, you know, denote it as official Godzilla merchandise. And they used a silhouette of this Godzilla drawing. Okay. Wow. I don't know how the licensing worked there, but that's what they chose. So if you find any Godzilla, anything maybe between 1994 and around 2013, you're going to see in the official Godzilla icon is this Marvel drawing of Godzilla. Nice. I'm going to have to keep my eye open for that. Very cool. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the next one. Don't forget to check Mike out at the St. Canard Files podcast as well as his Godzilla Facebook group. Godzilla Collectors Group. Yeah. Godzilla Collectors. And then, of course, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter. Just search for Epic Marvel Podcast, and you can search for my um, my Epic Collection uh, Facebook group so we can talk about Epic Collections all day long. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all we're going to talk about today. So uh, until next time, we'll see you later. Have a good one. <laughs>